mission to help you be who you came to be by creating, owning, and living the life you deserve and desire. You're listening to The Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a edge. Wow. Chill. Uh, Try to try something different. Jamie, Jason, KG, myself, Pete have a combined eh, 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And our guest is Tara Renzi. Tara is an author, emotional intelligence practitioner, entrepreneur, speaker, inspirer, blogger, thought leader, wife and mother, and is redefining how we unleash purpose, level up our success, and create sustainable happiness and fulfillment in all aspects of our lives. After two decades of success in corporate leadership and social selling, she started training, speaking, coaching to share her passions and help others live the life they desire, envision, and deserve. Tara has a true passion and talent for guiding others to harness and realize their full potential. Her first book, Be Who You Came to Be, was released in the fall of 2021. Nice. But before we get to Tara, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle your noodle. It's a brain map before the season starts, so they have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup now before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. It only takes 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future life. KG. It's Pete. I bought the world's worst thesaurus yesterday. Not only is it awful, it's awful. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you got any shout-outs? I, I have several shout-outs today. Today is International Women's Day, so my shout-out is to all the hardworking women out there. Uh, as uh, you may or may not know, International Women's Day is a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. And the day also marks a call to action for accelerating gender parity. Today is a day to celebrate women's achievements and rally for women's equality. That is my shout out for today. Isn't every day that way though? Are you just gonna pick one day? I, it's, it's, a, it's a start, my friend, man. It's a all start. Right, all right, Yeah, Tara. Do you to tell a bad dad joke? Oh, God, please Absolutely. do. Please Bring do. It. What, did the, what did the sushi say to the bee? Tell me. Wasabi. <laughs> I just got owned. I just got owned. Yeah, yeah. She, she that, totally that was, beat you on that one. That is the best one that I, yeah. Tip your waiter, try the veal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, happy birthday, Max Jansons. Way to go, kid. Uh, let's see. Michelle Kennedy, dumb, dumb L. Dumel, three years at DocuSign. Christina Phillips, ex- Executive Director at Family Service at Glencoe. Anna Mazzo, for two years at DocuSign. 
Sarah Mitchell, two years at uh, DocuSign. A lot of old CB people over at DocuSign. Yannick White, 14 years at Career Builder. Way to survive, my friend. Congratulate Sal <laughs> Brochio for starting a new position as Vice President of Sales at Tax Advisors Group, LLC. KG, shout out to you and I. I guess we've known each other three years on LinkedIn. Woo! Yeah, just on LinkedIn, but that just means you didn't join LinkedIn until like three years ago, yo, guy. <laughs> yo, whatever. <laughs> whatever. All, good. All right, so KG, how do you know Tara? Well, I met uh, I met Tara through Will Emmons, who was a guest on the show a while ago and uh, did an amazing job. And we talked about enterprise sales and we posted something on, uh, on you know, one of our shows on LinkedIn. And Will jumped in and said, you have to have T Tara Renzi on the show. And you know what? Here's what he had to say about her. When I first started working with Tara, she was an area sales manager over our Kansas City region. She became the number one ASM in the country, and it was a tremendous leader. She cared deeply for her people, and she was uh, competitive as hell. I think both of those played into her success and leadership. One of the best and worst days of my life was when she let me know that she was going to start a family, would not be coming back. She left that career for a tougher job, that of being an amazing mother to two terrific boys. And then she recreated herself and went on to become one of the top leaders in the world for another large organization. Oh, and still crushing it in the mom department. She again has recreated herself to become a speaker and an author. Her message is a great one. And I'm excited for you guys to have the opportunity to speak with her personally. Tara, how about that? Wow. I feel like a legend. <laughs> Will, Will built you up. Remember me, so, I mean... Uh, well, yeah, right. I know. But, but, uh, but thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Hey, I am honored, honored to be here, especially on International Women's Day. Absolutely. We had to had to have you. Will speak so highly of you. Nothing from downhill from here, right? Exactly. <laughs> Gosh, I hope I could meet up to all of that. I'm sure well, you will. It's awesome. Oh, see what you did there? I'm sure you will. Look, I'm you sure left. I Will, 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 Will was a jerk. That's why you left. <laughs> you know, Will and I really got along. And I will tell you that some people You're the one? that he was tough. But, I mean, for me, he just made me a better salesperson, a better leader, a better human. I think that the whole world's gotten really soft. And we need more <laughs> Will Emmons in the world. <laughs> yes, that's true. Be careful what you wish for. I think we got one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, a lot of good things about about Will, and you know, you, you either love me or hate him. You either perform and stepped up, stepped up to his standards, or you withered. In uh, from what I understood, for sure. So, but Tara, give us the you know two minute primer on your life. I mean, that was uh, the the introduction that uh, that Will gave. But uh, let's hear it from you gotta yourself. Hear this stuff again. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just wait for it. It gets even better. So I, I did. I was one of those quirky people who got out of college and was like, I'm going into sales. I remember my dad was like, you're going into sales? Like, this is your lifelong goal? And I was like, absolutely. And so I went that route and I actually climbed the corporate ladder, started in sales, moved into national sales and started managing a couple sales offices. I did go on to be ASM of the year 
maybe two years. I, I got cut short because I moved back into a national sales role for some flexibility after I had my first child. Mm-hmm. And then I had my second son and I started doing more of con- kind of consulting. I helped with their national sales training program and the demands of motherhood and really what the lifestyle that I wanted. Uh, I had, I had, I had some change. And so I kind of reinvented myself and did something I'd never do. I never thought, hey, I'm going to, you know, go to college, climb the corporate ladder with aspirations of becoming a C-level executive and then leave it all behind for a career in social selling. But I did because I wanted flexible entrepreneurship. I wanted to be uh, home and more present with my my children. Mm-hmm. I did that. And then when I turned 40, I said, hey, it's time to do something new and to really go out on my own and carve my own path. And so I became a keynote speaker uh, during the pandemic. I authored my first book, Be Who You Came to Be. And of course, I'm still momming so hard over here. <laughs> been married for 21 years. So I mean, I feel Even like harder. You know, you've arrived. Hey, tell us about tell us about the book. How long did it take to write uh, the process, the the whole story? So the book, you know, I always wanted to write a book and I always, you know, saw myself being becoming an author, but I never really had a true passion and drive to write about something specific. And I think that, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what's your advice on writing the book? And I just say, write the book that you want to write. And so many times as professionals and entrepreneurs and um, salespeople, especially we think, hey, what book could I write that everybody's going to want to read? And it's really just the wrong context because you have to, to write a book, you have to have something that you're really passionate about and that that passion will translate onto words on a paper without you there driving home the message. And so mm-hmm. I always kind of thought I would have a business book, you know, and when I was in corporate America, business acumen was such a big deal. I mean, the CEO sent us a book a month where we read it. We shared, you know, business books with our executive clients and prospects. And I kept trying to write this business book. And I'll be honest with you, it sucked. It was just, it, I mean, I just felt like an imposter. I was like, you know, I need to have more things in the footnotes. I probably need to quote more people, you know, all the stuff that goes into a business book. And so uh, I found myself, though, in, in a, an interesting situation in March of 2020. Gosh, about this time, two years ago, right, was when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And I had worked you know, for three, four years on really building up my calendar for speaking engagements as a keynote speaker traveling the country. And in about eight weeks time, my entire calendar unraveled. Sure. One cancellation after another, after another. Um, And I always say it not working out always works out. And it was during that time that when my business hit rock bottom, I was really able to channel my own message and have a real reality test with myself of like, hey, who did you come to be? What is your message? What is truly your message? And can you live it? And it was during that time that I that I was able to write the book. And I wrote the book in about six months. And the book went into editing and design and was published. And within one year, you know, I had the book and I was holding it in my hands. And I wrote that book that I wanted to write, which wasn't a business book. It still has a lot of great information and valuable information, but it's feminine. It's hardcover with gold foil. I mean, it's pretty enough that if you're a mom or a working mom or a woman or or really anyone, you can put it on your coffee table with some flowers by it, a candle, and it's stylish too. So, you know, it's not going to ever get dusty on on a business bookshelf. Ah, that's awesome. And and what does be who you came to be even mean in the first place? Be who you came to be is a permission slip. 
in life to grow, change, and evolve. And to understand that who you were isn't who you are today and who you came to be is going to be ever evolving. And we get to write our stories every day. But the the Be Who You Came to Be actually was originated from a letter that my 87-year-old grandmother wrote to my newborn son right before she passed away. And it was this beautiful letter that she wrote. And the last sentence that she put in the letter was, Be Who You Came to Be, Love Will Guide You. And you know, it was such a simple but profound sentence. And as I looked at this little baby, right? I mean, this little tiny baby, he was only uh, 10 days old at the time. I thought, be who you came to be. Oh my gosh, who are you going to be? What are your talents going to be? What is your authenticities? What is your voice going to sound like? What are your interests going to be? What are your strengths going to be? Like, where are you going to give me a run for my money? Mm. Um, All those things. And the more I thought about it from looking at it, you know, as a child growing, I I really started reflecting a lot on myself and on my life and thought, be who you came to be. Gosh, it was at that time I was in such a major crossroads with career, with family, as a working a working mom. It was something I never expected in a million years to have so many personal internal struggles with those two things really feeling like they were competing. And so I gave myself permission to be who I came to be, which was to change and to say that, hey, just because that was a fit at that point in time doesn't mean it mm-hmm. is now. And I got my whole life ahead of me. And I can take risks and I can make change and I can reinvent myself every day. And so as I started to share that message, people loved it. And they were like, this thing you came to be thing is resonating with me. And so, you know, I guess it was about eight years after that note was written. I started off on the path of keynoting and and writing the the book about the message. You also did a LinkedIn post uh, on what companies should be doing for their female uh, workforce. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, the pandemic's been really hard for working women, and we really haven't talked about it nearly enough. And I know the McKinsey report came out and said that, I mean, the numbers are staggering. Two plus million women, you know, left the workforce. Three million women have considered downshifting or leaving their careers. And those are the women that had the choices, right? I mean, there there was a whole group of women who didn't have the choice, had to leave their jobs because of childcare or caring for elderly parents. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the coin was all the women who didn't have the choice because they had to turn the lights on in their house. They were the breadwinners. They had to leave children behind to homeschool themselves because they had to go to work. And so first and foremost, I think that we really need to honor the women in the workforce. And what a great day today is to, to shine a lot of light on that. So first and foremost, I think that, you know, companies, now more than ever need to be providing equitable solutions for women. And I'm not talking about equality, you know, what um, one person gets, another person doesn't necessarily get, we give equitable solutions, what that person needs to be successful. And now more than ever, let's give working women flexibility in their hourly daily jobs. Like just because the job description says eight to five, doesn't mean that she needs to be there eight to five. If she can get the job done and she can make the meetings work and we learn that people can use technology to create really sustainable relationships and have great meetings. And so really those equitable flexibility, I think is so important because so many women feel feel like, hey, I, I can't do both of these things because there's not enough time. And I always say, if you want something done, go ask a working mom. Like she kicks ass and she makes everything happen. Um, So that's the first thing. And the second thing I really think companies need to do more of is celebrate women and give them connection, meaning give them events, give them community. Because so many times we go to work as women and we just show up as as the role that we're playing, as the sales leader, as the executive, as the customer service person, as the whatever it is. And we're not creating community within the workforce. And 
women show up very differently when it's a women's event versus an all company event. And so the companies that are really winning are providing really great women in the workforce conferences. They're providing breakouts at their corporate uh, summer conferences that are just for women because that we need that connection and we really need that community um, to know that, hey, all the things that we're going through, we're not alone. And um, it's just, it's just, again, women just show up very differently when we give them space to show up as authentic, vulnerable women without men in the room. And that's not to say, I, I mean, I love, I love men. I, I always joke, I was raised by a pack of men. I was the first girl in four generations. I have two sons. Um, you know, I, I joke that our house is like a frat house. It's a revolving door of teenage boys. And I worked in a very male dominated workforce. And so I love that, but I do think that we need to give, uh, we need to give women that space to connect. Women show up differently when there's like no men in the room. You know, we had Lauren Bailey on the show who runs uh, the girls club in uh, in Arizona. And she said something very similar, you know, to that. Uh, yeah. why, why, why do women show up? I've observed this myself. I want to hear it from you. Why do yeah. women okay. show By up By the way, Lauren is my new girl crush. I totally listened to that episode. She is amazing. Mm-hmm. The three F's that she talked about, go back and listen to the episode just for that. And like, I'm going to embrace that daily, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. she also Um, tells dirtier jokes than you do. Just just for the record. (laughs) I, you know, when I was listening to her, uh, her episode, I was like, okay, I don't have to totally censor myself. That's good. (laughs) No, you do not. I love Lord. LB is one of my favorite people there, but, but yeah. So why, why do women show up differently to events that are, that have men in the room? I mean, I think that men, you know, obviously are going to show up a little bit differently too, right? We just try not to be, um, but I, I think women in general try not to be as feminine. We try not to talk about work or, you know, home life. We, mm. We've we been kind of raised, right? That, you know, it used to even be a, well, I'm sure it still is a faux pas. Like you can't ask women in a job interview, do you have children or any, like even out of curiosity, right? To celebrate them as a mother. Yeah. We don't, it's like, it's like, don't ask, don't tell. And mm. Being a working mom is such a celebrated thing. And, you know, I always say, like, your kids love to see you kick ass in the workforce. But when we get together with men, and especially when I talk about things that are very vulnerable to women, which is, you know, what is the most fulfilling thing in your life? They are afraid to speak up at an event where there's all men and be like, hey, being a mom is actually way more fulfilling than this job is to me. Or being a mom is really fulfilling to me. Mm. Um, Or we talk a lot about comparison. And women you know, they don't want to sit in front of a bunch of men and be like, yeah, I totally compare myself to this person, this person. And comparison is something that women do all the time. Um, and then the, even the final aspect of what should I talk about, which is living it, which is making these really big dreams and aspirations for yourself. And again, women, they tend to play small a little bit in, in things other than career when we get together. So they wouldn't want to say like, hey, I have this lifelong dream of becoming a Pilates instructor on the mm-hmm. weekends, right? Because they would think that that would be frowned upon by the males in the room. So it's just a very different experience. And the connection just isn't as deep because we come with a lot of armor. And I, and I think the men, you know, mm-hmm. probably come with a lot of armor too, but I'm not a man. I can't, I can't speak for, for men, but I know that even as, um, uh, when I was at, when I was working in the corporate world, you know, there, there's a lot of armor that we put on to, you know, not be emotional, not be too feminine, uh, all these things where really we need to celebrate more of that because when we embrace that is when we really rise. And that's when that's what we see for really amazing women who bring out the best in other people is they're 
they're not afraid to show up unapologetically authentic and feminine. And I, you know, I joke that I was raised by a pack of men. So I grew up like this first girl in four generations outdoors and all the stuff. And they'd be like, mm-hmm. we're going fishing. And I'd be like, but I have my tiara on and I'm playing with dolls. And they're like, great, bring your tiara and dolls. We're all going fishing. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, I showed up at the pond with a tiara on and also learned how to fish. And I think that that gave me a one up in life mm. because I was never afraid to sit at the table with men and show up as myself, as feminine yeah. Tara, who was also knew that I could kick ass in the corporate world. And a lot of women haven't always had that uh, experience. And what do you think that uh, leveraging off of that? I, I love the like the the imagery of that, by the way. So what can companies do to get more women in sales and women in sales sales leadership, you know, to encourage them to bring their TR and dolls? You know, like how, <laughs> how do you what what do you think there? I think we've gotten better. I loved, you know, everything that Lauren was talking about of like changing job descriptions and, yeah. you know, really empowering women to to step up. And as much as you'd like to say it starts, it starts with the companies. I do think it starts with the companies and allowing more flexibility for especially for working moms, because it's a very, very hard balancing act. Schools are not designed for two two income families. They're not designed no. for two working parents. I mean, they let them out at one thirty. You know, I mean, they cancel school and you're like, whoa, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, totally. I joke all the time. I'm like, I don't know how anybody does this without a flexible income. And if there's two people who are in an eight to five job, those kids are thrown into aftercare. And the only person that's really at a disadvantage there at that point in time is the child. Yeah. And so one, I think a flexible, equitable work hours and solutions. But two, we have to start giving women the confidence to stand up to shine, to be bold, to say, hey, I am enough, to eliminate comparison and say, you know, well, I might not have all the qualifications, but I can I can do that. And, you know, when I when I was at an in corporate, I was the one who was always applying for jobs that I had no I had I didn't meet any of the qualifications. And I remember my first job out of college. <laughs> it was back in the facts era and it was for a national marketing director was the title. Yeah. I literally met half the qualifications and I was like, F it, I'm going to just fax my resume over. And within 24 hours, I got a call and I ended up landing this job. And the reason he said he gave me this job, which totally springboarded my entire sales career, mm. was he's like, you just showed up and you were confident and you were bold. And you're like, I, I can do this job. Like, I might not have the experience, but you should hire me. And he's like, I just love that you were so green. And I knew that our, our customers would resonate with that because it wasn't mm-hmm. some, you know, corporate bot. It was mm-hmm. just this person out selling and making connections. Love and it. so that's the other thing is we have to we have to give women the space and really the confidence. Like so many women really lack self-belief and confidence in themselves <clears throat> and what they can accomplish. How about uh, some tips for working moms out there? Mm-hmm. Like what what should they? So you talked about things that companies should do. But what what can the what what can the working moms do to right. uh, to create work life balance? Right. And I think it does start. I think it starts with the working mom. It starts with the women. First off, ask for what you want. Don't be afraid to ask. I think a lot of companies would give you the flexibility and the equitable solution if you, you know, got the guts to go just go ask for it. You know, I always say it never hurts to ask. Ask for what you want. Ask for what you deserve. And so that's the first thing. Don't be afraid to speak up and let them know that, especially if you have a proven track record. I mean, gosh, just ask for it. Uh, So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is I think as women, we focus so much on work-life balance and we base it on time. And so those things are like time, not all time is created equal. 
And we start thinking like, oh gosh, I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible, I'm at my, you know, I'm terrible at my job. I'm not a great wife. Cause we start, you know, we feel like we're not fully something because of time. We're not dedicating enough time to it and not all times created equal. And, you know, I always joke that my husband, he, he's worked 12 plus hour days ever since, you know, he got out of college and he's never really struggled with work-life balance because he never was ever banking it on time. You know, he'll come home, have 45 minutes with the boys playing catch uh, playing a game, shooting hoops, hanging out in the pool, whatever. And everybody feels, well, they feel fulfilled. And when I figured this out, and I really wish I would have known this when I first had kids, is that not all times created equal, and we have to focus on what is fulfilling in our life. And you can have a really fulfilling career, and you can be really fulfilling, you know, be fulfilled as a mother. They aren't in competition. Like, fulfilling things don't compete. Like, if something's fulfilling for, to you, it doesn't have to be like, well, this is more fulfilling. It's like the love for the children. Like, it's just different. You know, you feel different love, you feel different levels of fulfilling based on what you're doing. And they're not mutually exclusive. Like you can be a kick-ass, you know, career woman and be the most amazing, loving mother. And I think that that's where we really get turned around. We we measure too much on time versus being fulfilled in the roles and the things that we're doing. Tara, what does it mean to become a fulfillionaire? a word I heard through another podcast that I did and it was really interesting because I'd never heard of this person and the entire first part of my book which is three parts which is the first part's called create it and is how do you create the life that you that you deserve and that you desire and so many times well I ask women this all the time I say what do you want in your life and 98% of the time they say I just want to be happy mm-hmm. and I'm like oh for god's sake you want to be mm-hmm. happy like that is impossible. Okay. Like I tried, I tried to manufacture happiness and it's exhausting and it's really not sustainable. And happiness is an emotion and we can't just go around, you know, whistling Dixie all the time. It's just not a, it's not a realistic expectation for life. And so in my happiness quest that I was on, I had a major epiphany during it. And it was during a really, really hard time in my life when I had uh, lost my father unexpectedly, I was still working, I was grieving um, and I, I remember thinking like, will I ever be happy again? And mm. I've always considered myself a pretty happy go lucky person. And I just remember thinking I am never like, I don't know if I'll ever experience happiness because the grief was so overwhelming. I mean, it absolutely consumed me. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time I had this massive epiphany. I was like, God, I'm not happy right now, but I'm actually deeply fulfilled. And I might be more fulfilled right now in my life in this darkest point of grief than I ever have been. You know, I had a 38 year relationship with my dad that was everything. I mean, we had the best relationship and he taught me so much about being um, a parent and just a a strong woman and uh, uh, to be celebrated. So I had that, I had this flexible career at the time that gave me what I needed to go through the process. I had this amazing group of, you know, team members who were supporting me and loving me. I had outreach from the community who were bringing meals over and this family that I love so much and all these things that was so fulfilling, even in this darkest day. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized like, we don't need to be happy all the time, but we do need to be fulfilled. And you don't have to be happy to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And yes, fulfilling things are what create epic moments of happiness and success. I mean, if you think about the last time you got a huge promotion at work, you know, you felt really good about it because you earned it. Like you earned it. Someone just didn't hand it to you. And that's really, really fulfilling. And so when we do things that are fulfilling, we stay the course, they require us to be tenacious, bold, persistent, patient, kind, 
all those things, I mean, whether that be your career, whether that be your marriage, your parenting, um, your the things that you do within the community, all not always, they don't always make you happy. So don't compare, don't compete. You're in sales. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm not talking about comparing, uh, you know, competing with yourself. Like the only person that you should ever be con in competition is, is becoming the best version of yourself every, every time. And I am highly competitive. Like we've almost banned trivial pursuit in our house because yeah. it always erupts in a fight. Yeah. Everybody wants to win, you know, and I'm also that mom who never let my kids win. Like I, I reveled in kicking their ass. In Good. The game. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. My wife has banned me from playing some of the games with the kids. Cause like, for God's sakes, if they're, they're, they were 13, like let them win. No, I'm not letting no, them win. Never. I, I'm talking about as women, you know, we don't, we don't, there, there's no need for us to compete. You know, I always say you didn't come to be her. You came to be you. And there's enough success for all of us to go around. And as women, one of the things that women um, love to do is compare. And, I, you know, as a society, we love to compare, right? I mean, we compare everything from restaurants to movies to houses. I mean, unfortunately, we compare our kids to our other kids. We compare our kids to other kids within the school and corporate, right? We compare our last boss to our existing boss, our last job. To the, I mean, everything's, we, we make these benchmarks. Mm -hmm. But when there's there's no apples to apples when we're comparing humans because we are all different. We are all have a different story, a different timeline, a different behind the scenes. And you never know. I always say, you know, and now we have social media, right? Where everything's a highlight reel. Like nobody posts on Instagram, like today sucked. I lost a million dollar client. <laughs> Two of yeah. my sales reps quit. And on, so, and on Instagram, right? It's always a perfectly polished post, all these things. And, and Hey, listen, I, I do the same. We like to share highlight reels and nobody wants to see everybody's dirty laundry all the time. We like a, a little, a dose of like uh, reality and humbleness, but like, I don't, I don't really need to know the disaster that's going on in everybody's life. But what mm -hmm. happens when we compare ourselves to those highlight reels, we start to feel like we're not enough, especially mm -hmm. as women, you know, I'm not a good enough mom. My marriage isn't as good as that person's marriage. Oh my God, that person's getting all these accolades. Why am I not succeeding in work? Why is this not happening as fast for me? And we start, we benchmark ourselves off of other people. And I always say like, whether you compare yourself to someone and it makes you feel really good or mm -hmm. you compare yourself and you feel like a total POS, like mm -hmm. who cares? Like you didn't come to be them. Like why would you ever compare your life to someone else? Because you are not living their life. And so I realized that there's this little secret for women and it really works. And I'm, I'm sure it'll work for men too. And that is, instead of comparing yourself to other people, we need to start admiring each other more. And women, um, you know, I can, I'll, I'll just flat out say it. Women can be just viciously mean. I mean, just mm -hmm. viciously mean from the time I was a young girl to even now, I mean, just some real bitchy, awful people and you know people like talk about men in the workforce and i i i had a lot more bad experiences with women in corporate hmm. america than i ever did with men hmm. um, and so we have to learn how to stop comparing and benchmarking off of other women and really start admiring them because here's what happens when we compare ourselves to other women we feel extremely um, self-conscious, right? We start to feel like maybe we're not enough. We, we maybe inadequate, all these things. It ignites a lot of insecurity. Where if when you admire someone, it's a total different mindset of, it's like, wow, look at her. If she could do that, I can do that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. she's got three kids. She's kicking ass in corporate America. She's still making time for date nights. And, you know, she's mm -hmm. not always at the 
first half of the game, but she makes it for the second half of her kids' games. Like, wow, mm-hmm. I love this. And when we admire someone, we ignite all this possibility within ourselves. And we also yeah. give so much love and compassion to other women, which is so needed in this world right now, from women to women. Um, and I think that that's something else we really don't talk enough about is that mm-hmm. oh, so many of the problems with women actually start with other women. If I can do that, if she can do that, I can do that. Okay. I, I love it. And I think Lauren Bailey actually talked a little bit about that. So now let's talk about uh, women in sales leadership. You've built and led multi-million dollar sales teams. What specific actions can we take to get more women like yourself into into sales leadership? I think it, it, you know, again, as much as I'd like to say corporate America, do X, Y, and Z, and more women will advance up. Um, I think a couple things, you know, with the shifting workforce of women is we also have to, to ask ourselves, do women want these jobs? Do women want these jobs? And people, you know, no one will talk about that either. Like, hey, there's, mm. a gap, there's a gap in the workforce. Well, a lot of women get to a point in their lives where they don't want that job. So I think there's a couple things. One, um, again, how do you give them the flexibility to make the job work? Two, asking the, even coming up with p- different paths for women where they can have, they can flex out. And then when they get to that path where their kids are at a certain age, they can flex back in and they, it doesn't feel like this, this shortage. What happens with, a, with working moms, especially, right, is they, they come in into their 20s, they're climbing the corporate ladder, they're kicking ass, they've got all these aspirations to go all the way to the top. And then they have kids and no women, as a woman, you just have no idea how disruptive that's going to be to your career. Mm-hmm. And I was the person who was like, listen, I'm going to hire nannies. You know, I'm going to go all the way. It's going to be fine. And we we hired nannies. I think we had about five. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we had about five. And then as I fired the last one in the <laughs> hotel room in Philadelphia, I, I hung up. I thought, maybe this is me. Maybe maybe there's something here that I really need to dig a little bit deeper. In. And that was when I realized, like, hey, I don't want this job right now. I think that, you know, creating sales leadership and, and flexible entrepreneurship is really, really important. And how do we, you know, how do we do that? Whether that is job shares, whether that is, you know, a, a more part-time flexible job. And then I think it's also giving women the training and mindset that they need to show up and do the work. Because I think that that's also where a lot of women lack is we just lack in self-confidence, the ability mm-hmm. to understand how much we can get done, mm-hmm. um, understand, you know, how we can make things work and then to ask. And so I, I think it's not just like, hey, corporate America can solve this problem. We also have to do it by investing in women and really giving them the ability to be who they came to be, both in at work and at home. And those two mm-hmm. things can't be mutually exclusive because that's not how women work. Like the whole time you're at work, you're still a mom. And the whole time you're yeah. a mom, you're still a working woman. So... Emotional intelligence. How the heck do you get uh, certified in that? I definitely didn't. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be surprised. I don't know. I think all the best salespeople, the top, you know, the best leaders are they're really emotionally intelligent humans. And so, you know, back to when I, we were, when I was in corporate, it was really something that was kind of like emerging in the late nineties, early two thousands. People were talking about emotional intelligence and it was something I was just always really curious about and really became kind of a, a student of it and, and, and learning about it. And for me, I, my definition of emotional intelligence is, you know, there's all these really fancy, fancy, yeah. fancy ones out there, but mine is just knowing, understanding your thoughts and your emotions and understanding you are not your thoughts or emotions. It's how are you going to respond versus react? The best salespeople, the best leaders 
respond and they understand that they're not their thoughts, that we're not our thoughts, right? I mean, if you, like, I have some really wild thoughts all day long, but I don't act on them and I certainly don't speak them and I certainly don't get on Twitter and put everything that rolls across my mind out there. And so when I was writing my book, it, you know, it was really, I've always been a lifelong learner and I, I like to, you know, continue to, to level up my business acumen and um, mm -hmm. accreditation. And so I started researching it and you can get certified as an, an EQ practitioner. So I, I went to DC for a week, um, mm. took a deep dive class, stayed there for, you know, five days, did all the testing, all that. And now I'm, I'm certified. So I'm kind of a big deal. In that. <laughs> I can give you a really expensive emotional intelligence assessment. <laughs> so somebody Tara, somebody once told me that uh, only people that have high emotional intelligence take classes in how to become more emotionally intelligent. Yes. <laughs> what, yeah, what I is think it? Recently that imposter syndrome only happens to hyperachievers. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> gosh, I'm checking all the boxes. Exactly. What, what is emotional intelligence? Well, again, my my simple definition is it's it's the ability to understand your emotions and then choosing how you're going to react, and to to know that it's real that not everything's about you. That there's just situational things that happen, you know. So here's a perfect example of you know you see you have your your mid year review at noon and you happen to run into your boss in the uh, the coffee room, and you're like you know hey Pete and he goes hey and just walks off and you're like holy shit mm -hmm. I'm dead. Like I mm -hmm. am dead in the water today. Something terrible is going down. He didn't talk mm -hmm. to me. I'm going to get fired. Maybe I'm going to get mm -hmm. demoted. And you spend four hours, right? Going over this one little action. And then you get to the thing and Pete says, Hey, Tara, I want to apologize. I had just gotten a call that my kids skipped school at eight o'clock this morning. I'm sorry. I was short with you. <laughs> so this is really being able to see things for what they are versus everything that our emotions try to constantly tell us. And, you know, we're wired to be emotional people. And that, that's really good. I mean, that's why we're humans. It's what makes us all um, extraordinary, amazing. But it's we really have to choose how to respond and to internalize our emotions and other people's emotions so that we can have outcomes that are mutually beneficial to everyone. And being able, when you know what to say or you know how to approach something, you know, as, as a salesperson, you get you're going to get a result that is much better for you yeah. and for the customer than if you go in guns blazing or you're passive aggressive or enough, but you're like hyper assertive, you know, all these things have to kind of balance out. I, I had a, uh, I worked for a CEO one time who was uh, very bad at names and also in incredibly introspective while he, while he walked. And so he'd be walking the hallways and he'd see one of my salespeople and he'd walk right by and they'd say, hey, fill in the blank with the CEO's name. And the CEO would be like, hey, and he'd keep on walking by. And then the salesperson would come to me and go, oh, my gosh, what did I do? You know, whatever. I'm like, you just have to understand, like, the dude doesn't know your name. And He's like he uh, Christmas vacation. Hello, Grisball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. And and so I had to I had to coach my own CEO on a little bit more emotional intelligence from time to time because that was, you know, people would read into that for sure. So what are like a few tips that you can give salespeople to be more emotionally intelligent? So first and foremost, the best way that you can heighten your emotional intelligence is to be quiet and listen. As sales reps, we're always trying to respond. We're, 
how, how am I going to overcome this objection? How am I going to move the sale faster? How am I going to meet all the needs? Just listen. Like they will tell you if you shut up for just a little bit and listen, they're going to answer all the questions. And then you can take everything that you heard and reframe it, respin it, package it up with a little bow and make it look pretty and give it right back to them. And that is emotional intelligence, like 101 for salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I really think salespeople can do more of is be um, is really balance out their empathy and assertiveness. So sometimes we get a lot of real fast talking salespeople. And, you know, if the customer doesn't feel like there's any empathy or connection mm -hmm. there and it's just, you know, assertive, 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 they, they come across as bold, brash, not trusting all those things. So really, you know, when I when I think about emotional intelligence, a lot of the stuff I like to do is how do we balance a few traits to really get these really positive outcomes? So mm -hmm. I think that assertiveness and empathy are really important. And then, you know, as far as it goes for being a great sales leader, mm -hmm. I think that you have to have incredible interpersonal relationships with your people, but you yeah. also have to know how to act independently and to empower your people to act independently. And so how are we, you know, independent performers, drivers of revenue, but we also play in the sandbox really well with other people, with our clients. Yeah. Um, and we have all this camaraderie that we create, which then gives other people the confidence to have that independence and to go show up. Nobody likes to have, you know, an order taker on the team, but nobody also likes to have someone who's just a boss and thinks that they know everything better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Thousand percent. I had a I had a VP that used to work for me, and I used to tell him, "Look, you are one of the smartest people I have ever met, but your EQ is absolutely in the dumps, and that's why you can't get along with all these other departments that won't like do stuff for you because you're a jerk. But you're like Mensa smart, man. Like, what is your deal? And uh, and he, you know, I went to emotional intelligence training, and I couldn't get him to go. Requires <laughs> a lot of vulnerability to really think about your emotional intelligence though and to say the, yeah. the cool thing about emotional intelligence unlike your um, IQ you can raise it like you can really lean in and focus on some things and there's a lot of tools and things that you can do you know uh, um, as emotional intelligence the other thing I'm getting certified starting next month in positive intelligence which is another really interesting if you haven't read Sherzad's book on positive intelligence it's it's a it's a form of IQ that I feel like of EQ that's a little bit easier to un for the, the layman to understand mm. Mm. Well, good. We need to dumb everything down for Pete. That's right. <laughs> hey, Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, this was my honor. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey, You're how welcome. do we send business your way? Uh, what's the best way for listeners to learn more about you or connect with you? Mm -hmm. Well, I always accept Gucci and Louis Vuitton as brides. <laughs> the fake stuff? I'm, just, I'm, I'm kidding. Kind of. Um <laughs> You can, the best way to find me is on my website, www.tararenze.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. You can find me, you know, you, if you look, you can find me, Google me. And uh, my book is on Amazon, but please don't buy it on Amazon. Come right to my website and use code friend. And I'll give you free yeah. shipping with that. And then you get the hard back book with the gold foil it's so pretty and you know i get i get paid a little bit better than what <laughs> give me on their Dude. crappy little 
print on demand paperback. Hey, Mother's yeah. Day is coming up. That might make a good Mother's Day gift. It makes a beautiful Mother's Day gift. All right. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of KG and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our newsletter in the podcast notes, and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We love our Sassholes supporters. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. Thank you.